Welcome again. It's great to see you. Great to see most of your faces. So glad we could worship together today. Thanks, Bill, and uh, another happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Thanks for what you do. Play an important role uh, in, in the health of households and the health of the church. So bless you in that. We're, uh, our text today is Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. So if you have a device or Bible and would like to turn there, we're going to read a familiar paragraph, a familiar account there where Jesus calms the storm. Mark chapter 5, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Follow along with me. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. The disciples were in a boat. The storm hit. They faced a life-threatening situation. Jesus was awakened, spoke, and immediately the storm ceased and the waters were calm. Jesus calmed the storm for the disciples and he will calm the storms in your life as well. So goes the lesson. So goes the quick assumption. Jesus was there and he calmed the storm for the disciples. And Jesus is there for you and for me. And he too will calm the storms in your life and in my life. So when your career or your marriage runs into stormy weather, Jesus is able to calm that storm. When discouragement, disappointment hit your soul, when maybe loneliness rolls over you like waves, Jesus is able to calm that storm. If there's strife and division in your life, in the church, in your home, relational breakdown, disagreements, when the money runs out, when the unexpected problems arise, Jesus is able to calm the storm because he's that powerful, because he's that good. There's a lot of truth in what I just said, and yet, I think if anybody who was actually in the boat heard my little summary, heard our quick assumption lesson from the story, anybody who was in that boat would probably just tell us to pause a bit and say, I'm not sure you really get it quite yet. These 12 men faced a life-threatening situation. 
They thought they were going to die. But they didn't. Because Jesus spoke to nature and nature obeyed him. Ironically, these 12 guys ended the story being actually more terrified by being in the presence of Jesus than they were being in the presence of the storm. They were shaken to the core by the storm. They thought they were going to die. Jesus performs a miracle, and they are more greatly terrified there in the presence of Jesus. I think if we were too quick to just walk away and say, Jesus calms the storms in your life, they would say, I'm not sure you get it quite yet. A sentence from Dostoevsky, for if we understand things too quickly, we may perhaps fail to understand them well enough. That's what we're after. That's what Mark is after. We want to understand Jesus well enough. That's our aim as we're studying through the book of Mark. We want to know and understand who this Jesus is. And each account, each situation seems to unfold yet another aspect of who Jesus is. And now we've got these disciples have come into contact with some supposed new dimension of who Jesus is. And they're trembling. And they're terrified. Could we pray together that God by his spirit would help us to take this account, this situation, and understand it well enough? Not simply, not too quickly, as we press in and let's spend a little time and look a little deeper, let's pray for the Spirit's help. Maybe you and I, too, should have a little trembling going on in our soul. Father, we do ask for your help. Spirit, would you come and use the reading of the Scripture and the preaching of the Scripture, and we take this what might be a very familiar account to so many in the room. Many of, many of us heard this story as children growing up in children's ministry and in the home and reading Bible stories. And Jesus calms the storm. Spirit of God, help us now this morning so that we don't just understand this too quickly but, and perhaps fail to understand it well enough. But Lord, open our eyes to see who this Jesus really is for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Simple outline, storms come, Jesus calms them, but faith is important. Storms come. Okay, simple, obvious lesson to begin with. If anybody should have felt safe, free of trouble, it should have been these 12 guys. But here is the reality. Storms still come even when Jesus is in the boat. Even when you've got Jesus. Even when Jesus is with you, storms still happen. Storms still come. These guys had been personally selected by Jesus himself, called to be his disciples. They had willingly left things behind in order to follow Jesus. They were devoted they were in this, they were in a setting where they were obeying, they were listening, they were following, they were growing. Jesus was over and over again proving to them that he was, in fact, the Messiah. They are gradually coming to terms with this reality. 
If anybody may have felt some sense of security, some sense of even privilege, even some sense of invincibility, it would have been these 12 guys hanging out with Jesus who was performing all these miracles. After all, we can look throughout the scriptures and we've got David, Psalm 18, saying, for by you I can run against a troop and by my God I can leap over a wall. And don't we have the Apostle Paul exclaiming that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If anybody would have felt secure, these 12 guys, with Jesus in, with them in the boat, they would have felt secure. And yet, they found themselves in a violent storm. Now, a handful of these guys earned their living on the water. They knew about storms. They knew about boats. They had spent much of their adult lives on the water. They were in familiar territory, but this storm came up. Though they knew how to handle a boat, this one had them scared. This one was a bad one, had them in a little bit of a panic. Jamie and I had a little sailing experience, a little encounter some years back. Later in life, my dad bought a 26-foot sailboat. He just stumbled across it at a flea market and took up a new habit in his life later in life and just loved sailing. Where we lived in Michigan, there was uh, Lake Makatawa, which is a good-sized lake to do some sailing and do some skiing. But there was a channel that would go out to what we called the Big Lake, which is Lake Michigan. And so if you're really going to do some boating, you'd say we're going out on the Big Lake. So we were with my dad and one of his friends, an experienced sailor, and Tammy and I and Mom all in the sailboat, and we were going out on the Big Lake. And sometimes the waters on the Big Lake get a little rough, and... Uh, we were getting, I don't know, three to six foot waves out on the big lake. Now, I'm just dumb enough to think, this is great. I'm having a blast. I love the waves. And, but my wife, she's much smarter than I am. And she could see, and she's watching my dad and his friend, the experienced sailor, scrambling to strap on their life jackets. So all of a sudden, now the captain of the ship is appearing a little bit panicked. And that was her cue. We never sailed again since then, where the sailboats are off, off the list uh, for us. You know the storm is bad when the captain is scrambling for his life jacket. You know the storm was bad when we've got experienced fishermen panicking and running to Jesus and say, don't you care that we're perishing? Storms come, and we shouldn't be surprised, but we are. I think it's an amazing verse in 1 Peter chapter 4, where Peter writes to us and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. We know this. I've preached from this text. You've read this text. But inevitably, what happens when a trial comes into your life and into my life? I'm surprised. I'm surprised that this trial showed up. And it makes me wonder, why is this strange thing happening to me? I think it's just amazing God's insight to write this verse. 
knowing in advance the very thing that's going to run through your mind and heart, he says specifically, okay, when it happens, don't be surprised. And it happens and I'm surprised. When it happens, don't sit there and think, something strange is going on in my life. Because nothing strange is going on in your life. Because even with Jesus, storms come. And the storms come, and the storms reveal things from our hearts. We begin to see something of God's purpose in these storms. Jesus accentuates the lesson by going to sleep. How do you sleep in a storm? This was probably not a very large boat they were in. How anyone could imagine being fast asleep in a storm that would panic experienced fishermen? Well, it was all part of the ploy. It was all part of the lesson. It was all part of what God was doing in their lives. But they have this reaction a reaction that is not uncommon, a reaction that runs through many of our hearts many a times. Teacher, don't you care? Don't you see? Don't you understand? We're your disciples. We're with you. We're devoted to you. Bad things are not supposed to happen to us. We're not supposed to be in life-threatening situations. Don't you care? Aren't you going to fix this? Aren't you already supposed to fix this? Why are we in this situation? And what are you going to do about it? Well, it seems like a reasonable question. I think we've all asked it. When you're really in bad straits, when hard times really hit, isn't it such an obvious question? I mean, we know God is able to do anything. And we keep assuring ourselves that he loves us and that he cares for us. And now all of a sudden we're in the boat and the storm is hit and we feel like we're going to die. And so what, what does logic lead us to? Lord, don't you care? Don't you care what's going on in my life? Don't you care about the hardship? Don't you care about the threats that are coming my way? How often do you and I fall into the same way of thinking? How often is this not our first response when the trial hits to question or accuse God himself. Perhaps we don't understand something about him well enough yet. There's the storm. There's the panic. But Jesus calms the storm. This account shows us the power, this unusual power of Jesus. Mark has been laying out these stories and these accounts. And this is the first of a short series of nature miracles added to Jesus' portfolio of the supernatural things that he's going around and doing to reveal to everybody who he actually is. Now, large healing campaigns are fantastic and miraculous and impressive. I can only imagine being in the crowd and seeing a, a lineup of people coming sick, lame, blind, deaf, dumb, and, and Jesus just touching them, speaking to them, praying for them, and just watching them healed one after another after another. Amazing. Something in this account is like altogether different. Talk 
to wind and the, tell the sea to shut up and calm down? This is strange. This is something altogether new. There's some new dimension of who Jesus is that is coming out in this unusual situation where they, they pose the right question. Who, who is this guy? We thought we were getting to know him, but now he just calmed a storm on the sea. Who is this man that even nature, wind, waves, listen to his voice and respond immediately to what he says? This is part of Jesus making disciples showing you and me and these 12 guys in the boat more and more of who he is. This is our aim, that we, we need to know who he is. And this account adds to the list. He's Lord over nature. Even wind and waves, the material, physical world, obeys his voice. But something strange twists here. Now Jesus is all of a sudden more terrifying than the storm itself. It says they were filled with great fear. Jesus just moved way beyond a really good teacher and a guy with a healing ministry. He just went into a different category here that shocked and stunned these 12 men. They didn't have a category for this kind of Jesus. There's a book written by Rudolf Otto called The Idea of the Holy. It's kind of a real philosophical book. I don't always track real well with all of this, but I get the gist of it. Is he's trying to write and explain that there are many things we can know about God there's many attributes of God, about God that we can read about, study about, talk about, interact about, understand, discuss, learn to articulate. There's so many things about God that involve sort of this cognitive aspect of knowing God. But then he presses past and he says, and yet there's, there's something else. This idea of the holy. There's something about being in the presence of holiness of being in the presence of the holy. And all of a sudden we realize, I can't explain it. Don't ask me to talk. I don't know what to say. I can't define what it is. I can't articulate anything. I'm just here in the presence of the holy. And the only thing that seems to happen is that I begin to tremble. Or I'm down on my face. Or I'm down on my knees. I'm, in a sense, speechless. I'm beyond my cognitive ability to articulate, define, understand. I'm just in the presence of the holy. And I think he was on to something that those guys in the boat were experiencing after Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves. Truly knowing Jesus Genuinely being one of his disciples involves you and I getting in touch with the holiness of God. And there is a trembling that comes.
with being in the presence of the Lord. There's a trembling that comes when we get a, even a glimpse of the true power of this Jesus. And this is beginning to know him well enough as he is. Getting to know the real Jesus. caused Jesus to go back to them and address their faith. Terrified of the storm, Jesus calms the storm. They're terrified of Jesus. He challenges their faith. Faith is the assurance and the conviction in God's word, in God's promises, even though these things are presently only hoped for and not yet actually seen. An assurance, a confidence of soul that rests securely in what God has promised, that his word is sufficient in and of itself to cause our soul to be at rest and confident and secure, even though the things, the content of his promises are things still only hoped for and not yet actually seen. What we saw in the disciples is what many of us, I'll be first in line here, what we experience when the storms of life hit us, that our assurance and conviction and our confidence in God gets shaken by the storm. To me, it seems very reasonable, life-threatening storm. Faith shaken, questioning Jesus. Don't you care? But this is the key change in becoming a disciple. I, I, I think you, you remember, you know, as we're laying out the book of Mark, you know, who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? Those are the two emphasis that we keep pushing on and, and, and drawing through. And here Jesus, when he brings faith into the picture, he's pressing in on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to follow him? Jesus reveals himself in storms in order to move you and me toward greater faith in him because disciples live by faith. Disciples live out of that resource of assurance and security based on what God has said and who he is. Even if those things are still yet only hoped for and not yet seen. Now, Jesus used miracles to lead people to faith. And these men were being brought into yet another level of knowing Jesus. And Jesus was leading them into, into a new life that is fully assured, confident, and resilient, even in a storm. Notice the kindness of Jesus. His words sometimes get caught differently with different readings. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? This is not harsh. This is gentle. This is Jesus posing these questions, redirecting their their 
focus and their emotions. It's like they're terrified. They're, they they had just had a near-death experience, and yet he wants to redirect their thinking. Why? Why so afraid? Still no faith? Oftentimes, when our faith falters, when our faith fails, we can tend to hear a bit of a, a rebuke. Why don't you have enough faith? But there's a better way. There's a better voice. There's a better appeal. Could you not, in situations like that, hear God's appeal? Oh, son, daughter, I have more of myself to show you. I have more that I want to reveal to you that will result in a stronger faith in your soul. I want you to see something of me, okay? You're in the storm. You're terrified. It's not going well. But son, but, but daughter, in this storm, there's something that I want to show you about who I am. I want you to see that I'm the Lord over that storm. And in seeing that, I want your heart to be filled with this assurance, this confidence, this steadfastness, this thing called faith. In the kingdom of God, faith is the prized possession. Before becoming a disciple, as we say in the church, in the kingdom of this world, wealth, power, position, reputation, these are the things that are the prized possessions. These are the things that make people feel secure okay inside, on top. We feel good about ourselves when we have enough money and possessions, when we have enough prestige and position and respect of others. These are the things we used to live and depend upon. In the kingdom, when you become a disciple of Jesus, that changes. And now in God's kingdom, the prized possession is faith. And so Jesus seizes this opportunity and redirects them and begins to talk to them about their faith. This is where the story is leading. Now, Jesus had a little problem in his ministry. It seems everybody wants the miracle, not everybody wants Jesus. He had to sort this out several times in people's lives. We all want the miracle. We all want the blessing. And Jesus used miracles and healings and blessings in order to lead people to himself, to faith in himself. Some people were quite pleased with just the miracle. And so there was some tension there. There were even times when said, well, there was no belief there. There was no faith there. So therefore, he did no miracles there. He didn't come just to do miracles. He came to do miracles to lead people to himself. He revealed his power to people so that they would see him and trust him and follow him. And how much more so today in our lives, how often do we see it? We want the miracle, maybe not so sure about Jesus himself. We want all the help. But do we want to be a disciple, which is what Jesus is after? I read something recently from Eugene Peterson. 
this sentence, the enthusiasm for self is not at all the same thing as the historic Christian concern for the soul. That sentence struck me because it defines the difference between not being a disciple and being a disciple. Before we're a disciple, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, there is an enthusiasm for the self. We live with this enthusiasm for the self. When you get saved, when you get adopted into the kingdom of heaven, when you really are committing yourself to following Jesus, that changes. Now, it doesn't go away. <laughs> Every Christian sitting in the room here, myself included, still has an enthusiasm for self. But now we come under a whole new rubric, a whole new world, a whole new kingdom where now we live with a concern for our soul. Unfortunately, it's too easy for our church, for many churches, to play into an enthusiasm for the self as opposed to a historical Christian view of concern for our soul. Jesus is after your faith. Jesus is after my faith. Jesus is concerned for our souls. Now from here, I want to take a, a little bit of a turn. I believe it's connected. And we're going to enter into the gospel according to Jonah. Jonah, the prophet. Because there are many parallels and similarities between the account that we've been talking about, the account that we read about the disciples in the boat, and the account of Jonah, the prophet. And Jesus makes this comparison himself with Jonah. He has this very problem back in Matthew chapter 12, where scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. We want the miracle. Not sure we want you. In fact, we kind of know. We don't really want you. But show us a sign. Show us the miracle. And he responds with this. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. story of Jonah, when he runs from the presence of the Lord and gets on the ship, and the 12 men in the boat with Jesus, both the crew in Jonah's ship and the disciples in Jesus' boat, faced a life-threatening storm. Both main characters, both Jonah and Jesus, were asleep in the boat in spite of a terrifying storm. Both the terrified crew with Jonah and the disciples desperately woke each of the main characters up. The captain on Jonah's ship said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. The disciples wake Jesus up. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And then there is a divine intervention in both accounts that calms the storm 
so that both groups are saved. And both groups, the crew and the disciples, are left awestruck before God. Jonah's story points to Christ. Christ uses Jonah to accentuate and draw attention to himself to help put faith in the right place. Now, while Jonah was cast into the sea, and by casting Jonah into the sea, the storm was calmed, and the crew was saved. And what Jesus is saying is, like Jonah being cast into the sea, while Jesus didn't cast himself into the sea, Jesus is saying, I'm going to cast myself into death so that you might be saved. What Jesus is saying is, you've got a bigger storm than your storm. There is a bigger, badder storm that maybe you're not aware of. See, the sea is a, is a picture in, in Scripture of terrifying judgment. It's the abyss. It's a, it's a fearful thing. I don't know if you recall when we were studying through the book of Revelation, in Revelation 21, uh, verse 1, it says, when the new heavens and the new earth come, it says, and the sea was no more, meaning the judgment was no more. The terrifying threat of God's wrath against the sins of the world was no more. It was all resolved. The sea was calmed. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give myself voluntarily, cast myself in, hurl myself into the judgment of God in order to calm the storm, the real storm, the big storm, the major storm that every person needs to be saved from. So, does Jesus calm the storms in your life? When the marriage is rocky, when the career is tanking, when the money runs out, when the relational conflict comes and the loneliness hits, does Jesus calm those storms? Well, as I started, you're all probably thinking, well, sometimes, not all the time, I've got a few storms yet uncalmed. The message of the gospel is that Jesus calmed the big storm, the real storm, the major storm. And the more we know Jesus as the calmer of this major storm that we are under the wrath of God, and he's yet calmed that storm to the point there is no more sea. The more we know that, the more we live in the good of that, we find strength in all the smaller and the lesser storms of life. See, Jesus made a priority of calming the storm of our lives in order that one day all the storms of our lives will be calm. Because what is faith? Oh, it's the confident assurance and the security of the promises of God. Even though as yet, in this moment, I may not be experiencing the fulfillment of those promises, and yet faith says, I have them. Because I know that what God says will come to be. 
If my storm that I'm in today doesn't get calmed today, I know that Jesus calmed the greatest storm. Now I have the assurance that all storms will one day be calmed. And there is my hope. Jesus came to do much more than help 12 guys survive one bad storm on the Sea of Galilee. He had something so much bigger in mind. And thank God that he did. Because that's why you and I are here today. If all he needed to do was make sure those 12 guys didn't drown in the boat on that day, what good would that do for the salvation of the world? And yet Jesus drawing their attention and saying, Oh, I've got something big in store for the world. I'm going to hurl myself in and calm that great storm. He used that storm to pastor their hearts by asking, Why are you afraid? Why are you so afraid? Well, I'll tell you why we're so afraid. Because the water's coming in the boat and we're about to drown. It's a perfectly good opportunity to panic. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus, as if saying, I've come to cast myself into your greatest danger. I've come to cast myself into your greatest danger to save you from the greatest storm. You no longer need to fear the real storm. I've taken that storm upon myself. That judgment, the wrath of God, that we were all subject to, all under that, Jesus says, I've taken that judgment upon myself so that now you and I are free to live at peace with God. May your soul be calmed like the sea. Folks, each storm in your life, each storm in my life, all those little storms, and I call them little storms, but I know some of you face major storms. They're still big storms. They're still life-threatening sometimes storms. Each storm can and should be a reminder of that storm. And the more we keep in view that great storm that Jesus calmed on our behalf, the more strength and hope and joy we'll find in every other storm of life. So the reason that you and I can face a storm of bad health, of troubled marriages, difficult children, careers gone awry, strife and division with the people that you care about, for all the storms of life there is strength because there's one who got in the boat with us and threw himself in to calm the storm. There's one who has unusual authority to speak to those situations that would cause us to tremble and say, no, who is this? Who's this man? Who is this man that can speak in this way and have those storms calm? Jonah's crew was saved because Jonah was hurled into the sea. And there's one greater than Jonah here 
today. Let's have the worship team come on up. No doubt everyone in the room on this particular day could identify some storm in your life right now. Probably maybe a handful of people that said, ah, no storm today. Maybe a few, probably not. We face storms all the time and you are facing some, I don't doubt, currently in your life. Wouldn't be uncommon for us to have some kind of version of Jesus, feeling like Jesus is asleep. Where is Jesus in this storm? And when we try to wake him up, no doubt an easy temptation to say, I thought you cared. I thought you cared about us. I thought you were with us. I thought you were for us. And yet, here's the storm. And it feels like we're going to die. Jesus does want to draw our attention to the fact that out of his great love for you, out of his great concern for your real problems, he threw himself in, cast himself in. I don't want you to lose sight of what I've done for you by the fact that you're facing the storm that you're facing. In fact, I want that storm to remind you, point you to, help you to further understand the real storm that I've calmed on your behalf. Your sins are forgiven. No more judgment. No more condemnation. Can you imagine? How could a room full of foibled, imperfect people like us stand before a holy God without any condemnation? Because Jesus calmed it. Calmed the judgment. Let's pray. But I want us to pray for some people. Let's stand. Let's stand. And some of you are facing a storm. And in particular, some of you are facing a life-threatening storm. We'd like to pray for you. But in order for us to really pray for you, I'm going to ask you to just let us know. Raise your hand. And folks, look around. If there's some hands that go up, maybe a few of you could just gather around. Maybe a little, before you go laying hands on people, ask permission. Make sure everybody's comfortable with that. But we want to pray for you. I see a hand going up. Maybe a few people could just move around. Kyle and pray for him you're, you're facing a storm and you're it's life threatening you're not sure you're going to make it through this storm and there might be there, no doubt there are lesser storms might not be quite life threatening but this is a bad one you're in a storm you're not sure what to do you feel like Jesus is asleep feel like Jesus doesn't care because he's not really there the way you think he ought to be there and I want you to raise your hand 
because we want to pray for you too. We've all been there. We're just all kind of standing in line and circling around on this one. We'll all experience seasons like this. Oh, but the Lord wants you to know. The Lord wants you to be assured. The Lord wants to strengthen your faith. The Lord wants to communicate to you who he is and have that fill your soul with a sense of confident assurance and glad joy that he's for you and that he's with you. Father's people are gathering around and some hands are up in the air and we begin to pray, Lord, we just we seek you, Lord. You're what, a, what a kind and gentle Savior who not only boldly gave himself for us in our place, gave your very life so that we could live. Father, these souls are crying out. They're facing storms. Though we don't want them to be afraid, we want them to feel full assurance of knowing who you are. So we lift them up, Lord. And as we said, Lord, we all stand in line with, with moments of faltering faith and questions and difficulties. But Lord, strengthen their faith even as I'm praying right now. Spirit of God, strengthen and refresh these hearts for your glory, for your kingdom, and for their strength. Father, for the storms in their lives, we do pray that they would cease. We do pray that you'd speak calm, that you'd say, stop, cease, be quiet. That you would deliver these people from the storms that they are facing. We know that you're more than a miracle worker, but you're certainly not less. And we continue to look to you to work those miracles and touch these lives and bring calm into their soul and into their lives. So Father, heal. But with that, strengthen faith. Draw our attention to you, marvelous Savior who gave himself for us. We pray this. Minister to these people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's close.